0: Just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers, it's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion, yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Thursday. And we've got one of those special programs. You know, I've had programs with Ed. He's been on frequently. We all know about Ed. I've had a number of listeners on. I've even had a couple of Trumpliflux on, and those have been interesting shows. But this show I'm really looking forward to. This is a gentleman I struck up a conversation with, uh, as my family will tell you. And I guess he's kind of in the same boat. I'm guessing it would be. I will talk to anybody about anything at any time because I find it interesting, and some of the most interesting people I meet are those people I struck a book conversation with. So when I was in Burlington, I had the occasion to meet Dr. Joe Wiley, and after talking to him about five minutes, I said, "You, you got to be on the podcast," and uh, he didn't seem too averse to doing that. So, uh, Dr. Joe Wiley, thanks for joining me on the Rational Boomer Podcast.
1: My pleasure, Mike. You are personality plus, and it was, uh, <laughs> so are you. It, well, I appreciate that, and it was uh, it was very cool meeting you and, and and starting the conversation. And it's even better to have an opportunity, a platform to to continue uh, the conversation. I won't say finish because I don't think you and I could finish a conversation together. I,
0: I don't think so. I think we'll probably do many conversations like this. And you're best described as an educator, an author, a consultant. So, you don't have a lot going on, right? <laughs> well, well I'm mean being facetious. Know, uh, I'm being sarcastic here. I
1: know you are. I know you are. Um, educator, I was a college professor for uh, over 20 years. I've uh, taught philosophy and interdisciplinary studies. Consultant, some of my clients have been Vermont National Guard, New York State Nurses Association, Pfizer, uh, Wyatt, LA County Fire Department, and I can keep going. So, and a lot of ed- educational institutions. And, uh, so that would be the the consultant piece and writer uh I think you know this from our conversation yeah but, uh I've written a couple of books one was turned into a film that the film just won best documentary at Soho international Film Festival a month ago and uh and the uh novel that I wrote, which I hope we talk about at some point Absolutely. The novel that I, yeah the novel that I wrote uh I'm working on the screenplay now so
0: okay uh and and you in the things you teach and consult and write about, kind of center around racism, correct? Or am I being too broad there?
1: No, I wouldn't say you're being too broad. Maybe it, it means the same thing. Uh, I would say that if we leave it there. It's almost limiting, because um, what I've tried to make sure that I did, because I think it's important to do, is to be inclusive in the things that I've uh, that I've undertaken. And so while race is very much part of the conversations that I have. So are disability, gender, sexual orientation, socioeconomic class, privilege, age, you know, don't go too much with religion, but yeah, I go and politics uh, is very much because you can't talk about social justice without justice and justice is very much connected to our political situation.
0: Well, so so as opposed, racist is, racism is just part of it. You're talking about prejudice in general, people being right. marginalized, regardless of what makes them different, disabilities, right. Right. race, whatever. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. And but, and, it, but, and I, th- I think but, that's crucial because I think that is part of the core of the problem in politics and in government in our country.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, there's so many... I love the fact that you're a political junkie. Uh, when I listened to one of your, uh, your podcasts, actually the one that you did earlier this morning, um, it, it made me exhale a little bit because I would enjoy having conversations about the intricacies of politics and how uh, a lot of variations of oppression are interwoven there and not necessarily maliciously all the time. But before we go too far down that road, there were some things I wanted to to have fun with you and say that were fascinating listening to you. Uh, One one of the things was, uh, I knew I'd be comfortable. I already knew it from when we met, but I knew I'd be even more comfortable once I listened to your podcast. Because I can't remember the last time I heard somebody's (laughs) podcast and they dropped so many (laughs) F-bombs like in a short period of time. Fuck this and fuck that, fuck that and fuck this. I yep. said, I said, wow. Well, if you don't give a fuck, you know who will. So,
0: well, and that and that's it. You know, I, I, I it's funny. Every so often, I get somebody come across me and say, you shouldn't swear so much. And, and I explain to people when I first first started doing TikToks and now the podcast, I wanted to be as authentic as I possibly could. I mean, you met me in person, and now you heard my podcast, and you can probably tell. I'm pretty much the same guy. I might yeah. watch my language in certain circumstances. I certainly can do that, having been in radio for 40 years. I had to do it then. But the swearing is interesting. There are a few people that don't like it, but there are so many more that like it. I and like it. It, and I, I think part of it is one thing I get, and maybe you can tell me what the psychology of this is. Um,. When I talk the way I do and I say the way that I say things the way I say them, I get a lot of people coming to me saying, "You know you're you're saying exactly what I want to say, but I can't say it or are afraid to say it or not capable of saying it so for for to a certain extent, I feel like I'm speaking for a lot of people of my age range that want to speak out that just aren't in a position to do it,
1: okay, well. That wouldn't be the case for me. What uh, I know, I know that. But but what is the case for me is your authenticity. And um when I'm in conversations with crew, um yeah, you know, I'm uh I'm a creative conversant. And so I will drop some words. But what I enjoyed about you is you uh you dropped the F bomb indiscriminately. <laughs> but yet but yet uh when you were referring to uh a woman who might be disparaged you didn't say that she might be called a bitch you said she might be called the b word right and so when i heard you so when i heard you say that I, I i chuckled and i said okay well i used to tell my students with the word nigger i used to tell my students that in an academic context where we're unpacking the word uh i don't have a problem with you saying the word i'm not forcing anybody to but I don't have a problem with it because if you're telling a story and somebody's saying that they saw this guy walking across the street and they, and, uh, and somebody yelled out to him, uh, and, uh instead of, Hey, nigga, now they're telling a story. They say, Hey, N word. Yeah. That sounds kind of stupid.
0: That's kind of sounds
1: stupid, Right. So in an academic context, you can go there. Um, so when you, when you dropped all these F bombs and then I heard you say, uh, <laughs> The B word, I said, well, I know this cat, which would make sense. Uh, you already said that, that you're a white guy. Um, yeah, I automatically thought, yeah, this cat's not going to uh, – he's not using the N word if he's not using the B word.
0: No, no, you you would never catch me doing that um, now because I just look at it disrespectful, and I, I people don't want to hear it, so I, I respect that they don't want to hear it. You have to understand, Joe, where I grew up, in South Minneapolis, I had a father who had all kinds of issues. He reminded me his personality was much like Donald Trump. He made more money than most people in the neighborhood. He had the same kind of personality. He was without a doubt racist. He was without a doubt racist. So when people would say, you know, if somebody came up to me and said, did you ever say anything racist? Oh, I'm sure I did back in the day. And I tell people that in the 60s and 70s, which you don't understand if you didn't live in that era, racism, was accepted. I mean, if I said the N word back in 1968, people would say, Oh, you're too little to be swearing, but no one would have been freaked out. And that's, the well, well, part of that's it.
1: because that's because you were traveling in, in, uh, in white circles, because if you had said that in a mixed circle, even in 68. Really? Oh, there's no doubt about it. If you had a couple of black friends or associates or colleagues that were in the mix, when you were dropping in bombs, you would have gotten some pushback or you would have lost some relationships because uh, black folk might be, might be comfortable uh, banding the word nigger back and forth between us or them, you know, uh, but the, one of the uh, unwritten codes is you do not say the word nigger uh, in mixed company.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, not,
1: yeah. So people do it anyway, but, but we're not supposed to, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, you know, you you meet people who do have those racist tendencies, and uh, it's like they feel compelled to say the N-word. I mean, it's like in their mind it shows they're not racist because they're one of you, you know, one of the group. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, they they have a friend that happens to be black, and they use the N-word, and the black friend doesn't really care because they know each other since they were born, and it's not a big issue. Uh, but this person feels compelled to say it. And I don't understand that compulsion to have a need to say it. There's a lot of things. There's some things my wife would prefer I don't say in terms of swearing. And you bet your ass I don't.
1: Well, but that that scenario that you just painted is an interesting one because I would make the argument that, uh, that I don't know a black person that would green light a white friend using the N-word except a few black people I met in my lifetime that are yeah. clueless. You know, like like probably the black guy who stands behind Trump at rallies holding a sign, you know, yeah, saying, yeah. right, you know, I mean, he's a knucklehead, because why would you, and I know people who, who are in, uh, in in line with this, but why would you want to support, uh, on any level, a guy that you really know when you scratch the surface doesn't give a shit about you? Right,
0: exactly. You know,
1: and, and that's who Trump is, and I want to ask you, you said something. What is it that you're I want to ask you to spell this because you keep calling Trump <laughs> Trump loves something.
0: I call him a Trump la fuck. It's a made up word. It's my okay. little coin phrase. T-R-U-M-P-L-I-F-U-C-K. Trump Trump la fuck. La
1: fuck. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: see see, because I not only did I make this up, I think I was the first one to really consistently use it. And I wrote a lot of different things on my Facebook uh page with this, but I even wrote an article that was published in the Tulsa. Tribune right before Trump landed in Tulsa uh, to give a rally, uh, which is what killed Herman Cain. Right, um, right, right. You know, and 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 I I stopped calling him Trump years ago. What I normally call him is Resident Rump instead of <laughs> President Trump. I call <laughs> him was... Resident Rump because he's he's the local ass.
0: <laughs> I, I sometimes call him Dirty Diaper Donnie the dipshit. That that seems to fit too. I
1: like that. Uh,
0: uh, but yeah, D- Donald Trump. Uh, he reminded me of my father when he took office, and knowing my father and how things ended up with him, I knew how this would end up. They they bully their way through things, and people buy into it. I think, I think that some people, the weaker minded people in this country, feel that they are marginalized by the government, and when they see somebody step up and say, "I'm going to fight for you," they just buy it. And they follow this guy because he's a tough guy. They want that tough guy leading them, even though he will do any number of ridiculous and, and offensive things.
1: Well, I think uh, I wouldn't disagree with anything you said, uh, but I'll add to it because um, I marvel at his influence and uh, and, and his, his meteoric rise. And, I mean, he's an evil genius. Uh, I won't be one of these people who, who just across the the whole spectrum of who he is and things he says, I want to call him stupid or an idiot because he acts that way often, just like Kyrie Irving, who is with the basketball in his hand. And he, when he's not talking, he's amazing to me. Right, but, as, right. as, but, as, but as soon as he opens his mouth and, and starts trying to pontificate, like he's, a, he's the smartest guy in the room, uh, you give him enough rope and he's going to hang himself. And, and Trump, uh, my thing with him is um, he should be, doing anything he could, he can, and he he's done this, but he should be doing even more for Fox News because Trump doesn't even exist without Fox News. Right. Um, and, and the roughly 70 million people, or whatever the number is that voted for Trump uh, in the last uh, presidential election, um, of that 70 million, and obviously I'm just playing with numbers here, but I would probably venture to say 65 to 67 million of those people that voted for Trump are blindly watching Fox News and nothing else. Because if you were to ask people, what does Trump do for you? I mean, in real terms, has he increased your value, your your lifestyle? Has he done anything really meritorious? No, he really hasn't. Um, What he's really done is he's made people feel better about themselves because of the way he bullies and pushes other people around and uh, they bought into him uh when he was doing the what was the show the apprentice the apprentice and, right, yeah, you know, and so that's what they get out of him because there's nothing there I mean no. there, there really is nothing there
0: i did I did two two shows with Trumpmplfo, and I kind of lured them on they 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 said i would well, you wouldn't debate me, you wouldn't talk to me, and I brought him on the show and You know, it wasn't hard to expose them for who they were. They'd make some crazy statement, and then I'd say, "Okay, give me the facts. Where are you getting this from?" And they say, "Well," and they keep trying to pull away. Let's agree to disagree. Let's go here, and I'd pull them back and say, "No, you've got to answer." And this is what I've thought the media, why the media is to blame a lot for the rise of Donald Trump. They legitimized him on TV when he was nothing but a potential joke to be a candidate. Um, And they softballed him the whole time. And I'm talking about the left side as well as the right side. When Donald Trump did something or said something egregious or, or, or a lie, they didn't push him on it and force him to answer. Now in these two shows I did, I made those people do that and they look foolish and they walked away with their tail behind their legs. Had the media done their jobs should they have been actually journalists, Donald Trump would wouldn't be here today. Donald Trump would have been sent packing where he should have been in the first place. He shouldn't have been the candidate and once he was the candidate they should have shut him down. But he was he was too good for T V he, they brought this shit show to TV, and it brought ratings. So they just fomented that and kept kept perpetuating it, in spite of the fact that it was going to hurt the country.
1: Did you ever see the episode when Trump was on Morning Joe, and uh, and he was saying something that Joe didn't agree with, and Joe told him to stop saying it, and then and then Joe 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 shut him down. It was the last time he was ever on there?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I knew they were friends. I know that Joe and, uh, and his wife would go down to parties that he had down in Mar a Lago, and Joe was a re- Republican. Right. Uh, I have a little trouble watching Morning Joe, though, because like Donald Trump and like other Trumplicans, Joe doesn't know when to shut up. He needs to stop talking and let his wife talk or let other people talk but he he he's like a little kid somebody's talking and he'll jump in and say oh yeah what about the red Sox? you know what the fuck is that just calm down stay focused man get on your Adderall and stay focused but <laughs> um uh but, but but I think the media is largely responsible for Donald Trump being in office and of course they're indirectly responsible for the mess we're currently in
1: when, well, when- well, 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 well and let me add to that Mike, uh, if if you paid attention when I said of the 70 million, 65 to 67, because the other 3 million, uh, this isn't a reach because we can see it every day. The other 3 million, and I could be off by as much as 2,500,000, but a a large part of the population is not, um, you know, really duped by Trump. They're just opportunists.
0: Right. Well, they're opportunists. And, and, you know, I think in, in the election, people say, well, how did he get 71 million votes? Well, the fact of the matter is, there are some people that look at Democrats as the devil, and they will vote Republican regardless. Now I think it's gotten to the point where they have to align themselves with insurrectionists, traitors, people who steal top-secret documents, and I think this midterm is going to take a different turn for the Republicans because there are some reasonably-minded, reasonably-minded Republicans that can't stand in line with this. You know, overturning Roe v. Wade, taking away Medicare and Social Security, all of that stuff doesn't sit well with a lot of Republicans as well as Democrats. So I think things are going to be different in the midterms in spite of what the television is telling us
1: you and i both are on the same page with that now maybe it's the, i'm an eternal optimist but uh i really i'm totally on board with you about that not not just those republicans who who created that organization i forget what it's called now but they were against trump going into the last election and um, they had all types of different programming around that um but also the independence. Uh, I think there's a there's a lot of people that are not Democrats that care about uh, the body Republic, that care about, you know, uh, uh, what it means to be an American. And uh I it's just hard for me to believe that Carrie Lake or whatever her name is in Arizona and who laughed at I mean, who didn't necessarily laugh technically, but she kinda joked. The, right. But who set the table for that comment about Pelosi's husband. Right. You know, I mean I just don't know how how some people do this, because there are some things that are just not funny. And there's there's nothing you could say that would make me laugh at at an 82 year old man getting hit in the head with a hammer by a sick fuck who uh, is doing it, trying to live up to uh, the lie and a whole lot of other things. It's just it's mind blowing where we are now.
0: Well, that's what I didn't understand. They came out with these conspiracy theories, and they they always go to the gay card. You know, they they, they say, well, it was just a gay twi- twi- uh, tryst, and uh, Donald Trump even said, yeah, the glass was broken from the inside, not the outside, which is a lie. This guy didn't know him. They took little bits and pieces. They heard about it, uh, and they twisted it like they do. But my question is, even if it was a gay relationship gone wrong, right? How does that justify a 42-year-old man hitting an 82-year-old man over the head? And we know for a fact that this guy was a huge Trump follower because of the post he made prior to doing this. It's such a lame attempt to try to dismiss that, and I think they were so worried about how it made them look, what kind of people they were. But, shit, that's been exposed months and months ago. This ain't going to make it any worse. We know.
1: Yeah. No, he's uh... a... You know, I tell people all the time that uh, if he if he died from a heart attack, or uh, if he was assassinated—I uh, don't know if we call it an assassination—maybe because he's an ex-president, but if he was murdered, that I would get no joy out of that, none. Uh, while while I'm cool with him no longer being on the earth, I want him to pay to pay for all his transgressions first, starting with the lives lost at the insurrection. He's done a whole lot of things that have been uncool. But to, no pun intended, to trumpet the fact that he's a law uh, and the Republican Party is a law enforcement um, support group or whatever, however they frame that. And then for him to be um, further perpetuating the big lie uh, and to have pushed and organized and orchestrated uh, the insurrection, I, I just... No, I I don't have any patience and tolerance for anybody affiliated with the big lie. Uh, And I feel like across the board, all those congressmen and senators that had any role in the insurrection taking shape, they all need to lose their offices and as many as possible need to go to jail. And I want to see Donald Trump in an orange jumpsuit.
0: I, I, I think you will, but we can even go further back than that. The first big lie. Million oh, people. million oh, wow. uh, No, a million people dead because of COVID. Donald Trump, yes. instead of doing his job, decided to do nothing because he thought it would hurt his election. And yes. he's called it a hoax and did nothing. A president in that situation at the beginning of a pandemic can do a lot to mitigate it. Oh. And he did zero. He denied it, and that's why a million people died. Some people have even come out and said maybe three-quarters of those people wouldn't have died had Donald Trump done anything. And so you, you go to that. That was a big lie. You got the big lie about the election. I, I'm right with you as far as not seeing, wanting to see anything deadly happening to Donald Trump because Donald Trump at seventy. What, 76 years old has yet to be accountable or suffer a consequence for fucking anything he's done from the moment he was born to now. But now is his time and he needs to suffer some kind of um, or, or be accountable for this stuff. And now people will always say, well, they'll never put him in jail. And honestly, I don't care if they put him in jail. They could put him on a house lockdown. But once he's exposed for who he is, his money is taken away, his freedom is taken away, and he's a pariah. That is the absolute worst thing you can do to a narcissist when they've been exposed and they can't bullshit their way out of it.
1: Well, I do care that he goes to jail. Um, And I don't want an ankle on his braces and on his uh, ankle, A, a brace on a bracelet on his ankle while he's at home no no uh he has done enough dirt including what he's doing right now okay still trumpeting the lie and people are still suffering the consequences from it now it's all over the country and elections are being based on it and no you know this fear that it'll cause a civil war and all that you know what let the chips fall where they may this motherfucker here's a here's a time to use the word fuck this motherfucker needs to pay
0: well, you know, I, I, we've, I've talked about this whole civil war aspect of, of this thing, and uh, I've often said that you will not see the right rise up in mass in a civil war. They did at the the Capitol, but they had gamed the system. They had a president holding people back. They were not going to get any pushback, mm-hmm. and that's the and that's the only way. Bullies, because they're cowards, will go yes. into a fight if they know they can win. Now, if these same people wanted to attack the Capitol now and Joe Biden's in office, it's going to be a vastly different situation for them. And they're going to have to question whether there's going to be a lot more Ashley Babbitts than there was the first time around. So After I don't think
1: Babbitt was the woman who was shot.
0: Yeah, she was the one that crashed into the building while they were screaming they were going to kill Pelosi and Pence. Right, right. And they told her to stop, and she broke in and she was shot. And of course, the, the Trumpicans think that. Now she's oh, a hero. She's not a fucking hero. She's a criminal.
1: No, I mean, now they're trumpeting.
0: Right, so- right. I, I, I always tell these uh, the <laughs> Second Amendment freaks when they tell me Ashley Babbitt was a hero, I said, well, let me ask you a question. You're sitting in your living room, you got a big bay window. Some woman comes crashing in your window, threatening to kill you. She's not armed, but she's threatening to kill you. What do you do? I'll guarantee you motherfuckers will go to the wall, grab your AR-15 and shoot her. you That's what you would do. So why is it different for her to crash into the Capitol and get shot?
1: Well, and the other thing is when she's crashing through the, the window, you, just because she doesn't have a gun in her hand doesn't mean she doesn't have a gun.
0: Right, exactly.
1: Yes, she's, yeah, she's threatening to come in. So it's no telling what she do when she get in there. So that is what it is. Yeah,
0: totally. And you've got a thousand people behind her. chance of, I mean, right. they they had weapons. They had bear spray. They had bars. They had all kinds of things. And so, yeah, you're you're, you're absolutely right. Here's what. See what you think about this. We've heard a lot from the J six committee. We just heard something to uh, today. I don't know if you heard this, but the J six committee has gotten a bunch of emails. Uh, you know, from the people who have turned things in, Mark Meadows and such. And one email shows specifically that uh, um, his name was...
1: I saw this. Uh, Eastman.
0: Eastman, Eastman, but there was another one. Um, uh, What the hell was his name? Cheesebro. Yes. Cheesebro. And he said, he was said in the email that uh, Clarence Thomas was a key to this overturning the election and what they wanted to do was create chaos delay the electoral count so that I mean Donald Trump said it himself just say it was election fraud and I'll take it from there because he's a master of causing a shit show and 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 uncertainty and chaos and then he thought at that point he would have some room to get himself back in office but <laughs> these people there's a lot of people that are Sydney members of Congress. There are people like Jenny Thomas. There are people like Clarence Thomas. Um we haven't heard anything about them being exposed as yet or being guilty other than what little we know. And it's my contention that Merrick Garland and Fonnie Willis down in Georgia are all trying to play it safe. By not doing anything before the election. So if somebody can, can claim that they're trying to impact the election by exposing this. I'm saying that on November 9th and, and, and forward, we're going to see a shit show of stuff coming down in terms of indictments and exposing evidence and all kinds of shit. At least I'm hoping that's the case.
1: You know what? The, uh, Garland had enough stuff three months ago. He should have gone. I, I'm very irritated with him. Oh, uh, yeah he he should have he should have gone after it because here's the thing on November the 9th um, cuz the election is the 8th right? right right so on November the 9th what's the difference i mean seriously if uh, uh all that's going to ha- ch- uh, happen is that the narrative's going to change and what trump's going to say is cuz he's going to announce uh going for the presidency again as soon as he can so that he can then justify that uh the only reason why the dems are coming after him garland and everyone else is because he's a, a political threat. The, the, he's going he's gonna to spin that and weave a narrative again. They should have gone after him a long time ago, but they need to go after him. You cannot not go, I know that's a double negative, but you cannot not go after this cat out of fear that the country may erupt. The country's erupting already.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. The problems are unprecedented. We've never seen anything like that. So these extreme times call for extreme measures. Yes. We will have to do things that we've never done before, but we're seeing things that we've never seen before. I think that, um, you know, Merrick Garland is ultra safe. He tries to cover his bases. And and. You know, the thing about it is, is as far as delaying it, I understand why he's doing it, but we have to weigh the problems here. Our fucking country is on fire. The Republicans are a dumpster fire. But you want to just keep it cool till the election because we don't want any upheaval about that, just like you were saying. I think the upheaval is enough where time is of the essence and we start making some fucking moves immediately.
1: Because we're in bad shape. When uh, if we if it turns out and and you and I both don't think it will, but if it does turn out that we lose the House and the Senate, uh, then this investigation that uh, by the by the committee, January 6th committee is uh, short lived uh, and where we'll be. I don't know. Garland needs to do what he can do as soon as he can do it.
0: Right, right. Well, well, yeah, here's the deal. Um, what Garland is doing won't be impacted by. The election per se um it will impact the j6 committee but of course the new members of the house whoever they may be will not be seated until january i don't i i think all along the january 6 committee is planning to wrap it up by before january 1st so they won't be able to shut it down because it'll already be done uh but once things are in the hands of the doj Congress can't really stop it. They can try to defund them or something like that, but they can't stop the investigations or the indictments. And you know, as much as a lot of people are saying, "Oh, if the Republicans get the House, we're, it's the end of democracy," I'm 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 not a big believer in that. I think you and I are probably on the same page when we talk about the midterms. One of the people say, "How can you be so confident about the midterms?" And I said, "Well, I just look at the facts. <coughs> they lost in 2020." What have they done to gain votes in 2022? Nothing. They've done everything they can to lose votes, overturning Roe v. Wade, all the suppression, all the marginalizing of the LGBTQ folks. They have done nothing to gain purchase in terms of in terms of elections. So in that sense, I don't see how it's possible. Uh, But when people say this to me, I get very tired And you probably run into this, too. When I talk to people and they go, oh, my God, all is lost. It's never going to happen. Donald Trump will never be accountable. I go, so what are you going to do? Curl up in the fucking corner and cry? I said, I don't go into anything unless I think I'm going to win. That doesn't mean I always win, but I'm confident I'm going to win. And if I don't win, I just stop, reset, and try a different angle. You never quit. And if the Republicans do win the House, all we got to do at that point is, what do we do next? We keep fighting and we keep going after them. I, I, I don't get this poor me. I give up. The world is lost. I, that never happened.
1: Well, uh, you know, I'm pretty resilient. But when we lost the election in 2016, I happened to be going to a diversity conference. Uh, I was at a diversity conference when the, when the results came in. Uh, in New York, and uh, and the next morning, it was it was the closest thing I've ever experienced to living the uh, the reality of a zombie. Everybody was was just like walking like as if they were dead. Yeah, and 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 so I know how that feels because if we lose the house, the biggest pain I'm gonna have from losing the house. That doesn't mean that uh, I won't be fretting. Never used that word before. I, I won't be fretting the results of the house, but Kevin McCarthy, look. Let me just go on record in this quick little conversation we're having. Marco Rubio, Kevin McCarthy. I'm sure you feel the same way about these cats from the, the hint you've given me. Uh, Ted Cruz, um, the uh, the uh, Mitch McConnell, and who am I forgetting? Um,
0: well, there's reps Jim Jordan. There's
1: oh, oh I Paul
0: Gosar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, right, right. all those motherfuckers.
1: Josh Hawley, yeah. Uh, Mar- Oh, my God, man. Oh, my God. I just I, and Mark. Let's just start with Marco Rubio. He the way he responded as a man of color, the way he responded to Obama's presidency and the way he would talk about Obama to gain momentum amongst his crew was appalling. Michael Stump, Michael. Uh, he was the Michael Steele. There's yeah. two Michael Stills around in politics with the, the black lieutenant governor. Right. OK. Right. You know what, I, uh, I've i always liked him, and I appreciated him while he was doing his job because doing his job didn't mean he had to disrespect this other black man. And I mm-hmm. and, and, and I really appreciated Michael Steele for that. Uh, and so when Mark, Marco Rubio was doing it, I want Val... Val, Val Deming. Deming,
0: Val Deming. I want
1: sure. Val... First of all, I love her. I think she's just an too. amazing woman, uh, person. But I want her to spank ass. I want him out. Uh, oh, my God, man. Anyway, okay, we don't need to, to well, lose ourselves in a political conversation, but it's nice to be on the same page with someone because that's not black because most of my friends that I go this deep with about any kind of political conversation are, are other black people or the filmmaker who I'm uh, Dr. Thomas Keith, who we made How Does It Feel To Be A Problem With uh him and Dr. Joe Smith and a few of my other, you know, colleagues, we can go there. But in general, I don't have a lot of conversations uh, that really go this deep where I'm saying all my anxieties around certain personalities.
0: Well, and I, I have the same anxieties because I understand that, uh, that uh, this is a, a serious issue and it's an issue we've got to tend to. Let me ask you a question. People have said to me, and I tend to agree, the problems we have with the Republicans right now, and the level of racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, violence, all this stuff. Some people think it's revenge for having the audacity of voting, electing a black president. Oh, there's, no doubt,
1: there's no doubt in my mind that the election of Barack Obama caused this backlash. Uh, there's, um, there's Trump's dirty work with the uh, birth certificate that... It, that helped prom- uh uh push him to the forefront of that whole movement. But oh yeah. There were so many people that resented uh the celebration and the fact that what that that the dream was realized and maybe they thought that we that we thought he'd walk on water. No. It was just a long overdue happening that finally occurred and yeah, there's no doubt we were celebrating it. But I'm gonna tell you right now, just like Kyrie Irving, sick handles. I love Kyrie Irving on the court. He's but but off the court, I he's lost me. He was my favorite player in the league. He's lost me. If Barack Obama had Trump tendencies, I would not have liked Barack Obama. No,
0: no, I, that's, that's, ex- that's exactly that's exactly right. Held
1: on him, like like uh uh the Supreme Court justice uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, Clarence Thomas, Uncle yeah. Tom. You know, I mean, just I, he is so despicable. I can't even begin to tell you because he's still upset about what happened to him 40 years ago. And he was guilty of it. Right. Well, (laughs) you know what? I mean, the whole believe her, um, I'm not someone who goes too far down that road with blindly believing anybody's arguments when you don't really have access to both. Now, he's proven over the years that, that, uh, that Anita... Hill? Anita, Anita Hill that Anita Hill was probably right, and I had no reason not to believe her, and he's given me every reason to not believe him but i I'm not the person who defaults quickly because do you remember the incident that happened in in the park with uh, Amy Cooper and uh, Chris Cooper and the uh, Chris Cooper was a black man doing bird watching and Amy Cooper? Uh, was, yeah, white yeah. woman with her dog that wasn't on a leash at first. Right. And so he right. asked her to put it on a leash, and her response to him was, "I'm going to call the police. Yeah. I'm going to tell them that you're threatening my life."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this happens a lot. I mean, for whatever reason, people get this fear because they see a black person in a spot they don't think they belong, and it, it's just fucking absurd. Uh, you know, I, I've told people before. If you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. If you're an asshole to me, I'm going to be a bigger asshole to you. And it doesn't matter what color you are. If you're black, white, Asian, if you're nice to me, you're my buddy. If you're not, you're a fucking asshole and you get what you get.
1: You know, uh, Mike, I don't know how much you read. And, and I heard you on the earlier podcast that I listened to say that you uh, don't really watch the news, but that you uh, watch podcasts. And you said you do two things.
0: Well, what what I do is I do watch the news and I get the stories. And right. then when I have the stories, then I dig around online to more, you know, like if I hear the story about the situation with this, this email from, uh, Kevin, or Kenneth Cheesebro I right. saw that on TV and then I went in a little deeper and checked BBC and 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 NPR and AP some more respectable sources and I look at a bunch of different sources to get the facts and then I form my opinion about it
1: uh, okay. I do
0: listen to I do listen to some podcasts, I'll be honest with you uh, I don't read as much as I should but I listen to a ton of audiobooks because I'm a lazy well, bastard
1: well you might be able to you might be able to find this on an audiobook as well but I highly recommend that you check out Angela Davis's book, Women, Race, and Class, and her chapter, The Myth of the Black Rapist. It is an amazing, um, for me, as a a young scholar, uh, trying to figure out how I wanted to teach African-American culture and philosophy of W.B. Du Bois and philosophies on romance, sex, love, and marriage, and a lot of the different classes that I taught. Discovering that piece was a jewel Because what it did was it gave me a a historical narrative uh, where she takes us all the way back to uh, to uh, a a woman named Brown Miller, who was um, um, a writer, maybe a a teacher, a professor. I don't remember specifically. I think her name was Susan Brown Miller. But and a whole lot of people like her who uh, who set the table very nicely for people like Amy Cooper to be able to say what she wanted, what she said in that moment about. Uh, her life being threatened listen, I asked you to uh to remind me to talk about my novel. Listen, I've never said this the way I'm about to say it publicly with you right now, but I lost a career over a false allegation really I lost a career i i I was doing all that consulting, you know teaching college and all this and there was a rumor from a that lived for ten years on a college campus that I worked on from a student in 2004 who was disgruntled over her grades. And so her response was sexual harassment. Sure. So my res- my response to that was, well, tell her to file it. Let's make it official, because I'm not going to act like I'm guilty. She went away quietly and it was became a non-issue, except it didn't because a cluster of women on the campus who wanted to believe that this student was telling the truth never let it die. And instead they whispered to every new faculty coming in, that i was a culprit
0: and yeah and that, that that that's the most frightening thing is that 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 can happen to anybody because as much as there are despicable people that do commit sexual abuse or rape or anything there are just as many unsavory folks that will use it as leverage as a way to get what they want and they don't have any credibility or any respectability, so does just throw it out there. But when they have to stand up to it, they won't. They'll run away. I mean, Donald Trump is a perfect example of that. Any Trump can is. They spew bullshit, but they have nothing to back it up. But they've left that stink in the air and then you have to deal with it and it's fucking ridiculous.
1: Right. right. Be- be- because one of the things that has pained me more than anything else is the fact that Donald Trump lived a life of uh, grabbing women, saying grabbing women by this and forcing himself and all these other kind of things. And um, uh, a for, for me, a false accusation from 10 years earlier, uh, actually 13 years earlier, that all of a sudden, uh, as Me Too was hitting all over the country, a little cluster of women on my campus decided to get together and say, who's our Me Too candidate? And because of a rumor that had existed, I became... The person that, that they went after. So way before the the signature moment on my campus it happened, I discovered from phone calls from my from my uh, office manager at the time, uh, who said, you know, there's a student asking questions of me. Have you ever, have I ever been uh, been sexually harassed by you? And I and and so I get all these little buzzes that are happening over a few days until all of a sudden in a big rally somebody gets up, a student who's never had a class with me or anything, and declares, I wish we had a a, uh, a, a chief diversity officer who uh, di- who who respects women, who doesn't disrespect women. Nobody ever accused me of anything close to rape, but even the allegation of sexual misconduct can damage your career. And so and so then for me to uh, spend over a hundred thousand dollars on a on a, a a legal case against the Sunni system, um. Uh, And to advance that case for a year just for COVID to hit and dismantle everything and me to have to make a decision, do I still want to try to wait till COVID's over to sustain this? Or what do I do? It's it's just crazy. Now, I've risen from the ashes. Life is good. I've moved on. But you know what it's done for me more than anything else? It's shown me uh, that how still viable, and I knew this from teaching the class and watching America, but how viable it still is to have a legacy, a history of all this social justice work I've done. Okay, books I've written, videos I've made, all these things I've done, to have all that be pushed to the side because a few disgruntled, angry, mean-spirited women decided to get together and take me out. And so no benefit of the doubt, Mike, check it out. I'm talking about really colleagues that didn't show up at all, not a phone call.
0: No, no, they don't.
1: Yeah. You know, so it's just mind-blowing.
0: Well, you know, I I talked about this before in in something recent. I I made a plea. There's somebody I want to interview on this podcast, um, and he's from Minnesota. And he's a guy, I think, that got jobbed in his political position worse than anybody in recent years. And that is Al Franken.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Now, this guy got fucking jobbed. Now, I I, I don't know if he grabbed somebody's ass. He may have. But the picture they showed was ridiculous because he wasn't even touching the woman. He was away from the woman. But it got all caught up in the me too. So people got all worked up about it. His own party pushed him out. Now, if he did something wrong, I have no problem with him suffering consequences. Right, right, of course. But when, when there's so much question, all Al Franken did is says, all right, cool. I resign. I'll do the right thing. I'll resign. Now, Al Franken, who was a good mind in the Senate, who, who was a good voice in the Senate, is sitting on the sidelines, and we have at least five people in Congress that yes. were likely involved in trying to overthrow this country. Well, there's no fucking equity, equity in that. That's not fair. Uh, oh, so well, I, I, I'd, I'd love to see Al come back because even if up. he did some bad shit, you know, even if he was, I don't mean, I'm not saying if you abuse a woman, it's okay. I don't think he abused a woman. He was maybe inappropriate. Uh I don't know what he did, but it certainly is, it, it's pale compared to what we've got city members of Congress fucking doing or a former president fucking doing. He has to pay the price. All these people get a free pass. That's bullshit.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, 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 um, The hypocrisy that dominates our culture uh, to the point where we indiscriminately cancel different people for different actions, while others, we look the other way. It's just beyond me. Uh, But I guess it's summed up by it is what it is.
0: Well, and, and that's part of the reason I do this Rational Boomer thing is, you know, everybody tells us we have a First Amendment right. But I I believe I'm one of the few people that actually have the First Amendment right, because even if you have a First Amendment right, but you work for somebody, I know I have a brother who would love to say the things I say, but he works for a big company. Or maybe you have a family that holds you back or or a community that you live in holds you back. You can't say what you think. Fortunately, I've gotten to a point where I don't work for anybody anymore. Um, uh, I'm not accountable to any group of people. The people who know me know what I say and know I'm not going to stop saying it, so I don't have to deal with that. So I like to say the things that people would want to say because I think they need to be said, and I think we need to expose people for who they are. They don't just get a pass because we're afraid to talk about it, and that's ridiculous. I mean, something like the situation you're talking about, that should have been uh, examined and pulled apart because it would have fallen apart after you did that, but you don't even get that option.
1: No. And uh, and which is why, uh, it, it, man, I'm telling you, uh, one of the reasons why I just like love my wife so much and adore her and uh, some ex, my ex-wife, uh, uh, some other women that I've dated, when they heard what was happening with me, people who know me and know the ally that I've always been would know this. Look, I'm not saying I'm God's gift to women or anything. I would never say that. But I've never struggled to have a relationship. I don't have to leverage the little bit of power I have as a Black academic in a white environment to try to score some play from a woman. And I'm, I'm teaching the myth of the Black Raiders. I'm teaching Angela Davis. I mean, give me credit for being fairly intelligent. Do you really think I'd be making moves on 18, 19, 20-year-old women or colleagues that are coming in as if if I had sex, if I'm any kind of a lover, and if I had sex with, with a woman that's 18, 19, 20 or whatever, and if I performed anywhere near as well as I would like to think I could, and if she's only been fucking uh, boys her age, then wouldn't she be more apt to want to tell somebody? "Who, boy, I fucked this professor, blah, blah, blah. And that wouldn't be a secret. Eventually, if I was that guy, it would be all over the place. So, you know, the irony of it is, is I really lost my job because three women I probably should have fucked I didn't, and those three women came together and took me out, which is really mind blowing. You've yeah. got to be kidding me! So that that
0: that, that that's the problem here. It's a catch twenty two, and and I, I I worry about the young people going into education uh, of any type. You've got young women who have to deal with the the harassment, but you also have the young men. You know, young good looking kid in there and. You can be compromised and put in a situation that you have no business being in and then ruin your life over it just because somebody's pissed off at you just because uh, it, it's it, you know it's kind of like well I, we're going to take a quick break I want to talk about this more because it kind of it kind of goes into the the racism thing that we were going to talk about uh, oh, so yeah. i'm gonna i 'm going take a quick break i'll be right back
1: okay.
0: All right, we are back on the Rational Boomer podcast, and, and I want to talk a little bit about what we were talking before the break, uh, because I, I've seen this a lot, uh, you know, whether we're talking about racism or where we're talking about claims of uh, sexual harassment or that type of thing. Uh, I'm going to tell a story on my wife, not a specific story, but she taught roughly, mostly fourth grade for <coughs> 32 years in in an urban setting in Minneapolis, okay? okay now she's a very tough teacher but everybody loved her because she had rules and she was fair about it all right Right. yeah but invariably every year at least once a year some kid wouldn't like what's going on and uh, would claim that my wife is a racist every year Hmm. now it never went anywhere because everybody knew my wife and thought knew that was fucking ridiculous and you know once it was brought to light you know the parent would come in and they kind of go, "Oh, you think she's racist? Come home, you're going to get a whooping." You know, it was that kind of thing. So it, she never suffered any consequences because she never did it. But but then you know, with 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 uh, younger guys in, in schools, they they could get the same things. You know, um, the as far as being sexually harassing or anything. And one of my biggest problems with this is that there are people who truly deal with racism every day and there are people who deal with sexual harassment every day and for my money at least from my side of the coin it it seems to be disrespectful to those folks that actually struggle with it they're making it they're making uh they're diminishing the whole effects of what's really happening because the racism and the and the sexual harassment is prevalent throughout this country, and those people that fake it just for their own benefit are disrespectful to those people who actually suffer with it.
1: Yeah, it's the story of the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 totally. People are dying from the true consequences of it, and yet people are playing. That's like it's the same thing with the with the Me Too movement. There are first off. Uh, I can make a case for being one of the biggest allies um, in this region and definitely on that college campus, but, um, and, and having, and having done this for years, look, I designed a class that was called examining diversity through film that was taught at four local high schools. There's not another educator at a college in this state probably who designed a, a, a college course and then designed a high school version of it that was taught at four local schools. I can keep going with, with all these things. And for somebody to levy an accusation and it be that believable. Yeah. It's just like, what, where's the evidence, you know, where's the beef to go old school. Right. And so, yeah, you know, how, how we live in a society that, that, um, doesn't know how to suspend judgment, uh, but instead rushes to it. It's just, it's mind blowing. And I'm going to tell you something. I've worked overtime on this. Um, I have a I have an uncle who uh, has always been somewhat, um, what's the word I want to use, militant in his worldview, and and right. he was, uh, he was in uh, he's a black Muslim, and so he and uh, and uh, one of my siblings uh, both used to tell me all the time that uh, that whites are blue eyed devils, right, and, right, and and I used to hear that so much, and that never worked for me. Because I used to say back to them, "Well, if white were blue, if all whites are blue-eyed devils, how did we ever become free? Because there had to be some good white men who fought the good fight for us, uh, for us to be free. And for me, one of those white men is John Brown. Right? That's,
0: absolutely. I, I watched a movie and read a book about him. That fucker was crazy, but he did the right thing.
1: But see, that's just it. That's W.E.B. Du Bois, and that was my dissertation topic for a while, uh, and I taught a class on him. W.E.B. Du Bois wrote a biography on John Brown. And his biography on John Brown is major because he was one of the first significant scholars to make the argument that John Brown uh, was seen as crazy because of the affection he had for social justice and specifically helping black people gain what they deserve citizenship and respect and civil rights. Uh, so, so that John Brown to, to me as a black man, there's nothing crazy about this cat. He's as crazy as the two white kids who died with the black kid uh, in a civil rights movie. In I'll the car.
0: Yeah, I know who you're talking about. They were in the car and they got pulled over right, and, right, and they right. got shot. You know, yeah.
1: yeah, you know, it's, I guess it is crazy to die for somebody else's cause but that's the kind of uh, ally that we need and that, and that we want that we start to, to leave our communities and cross over to fight the good fight in other communities.
0: Well, when you talk about John Brown, you know, I as I've told my kids and I've told other people, you have to look at the eras and the mindset and what people believed, as I said, in the sixties and seventies, when I was alive, I wasn't alive in the fifties, but in the sixties and seventies, I really felt like racism was accepted. Uh, if in the 60s a white man or a black man dated a white woman which, whichever combination it was that was weird i mean you walk down the street and you go holy shit how did that happen now that isn't the case it is still the case with some folks but yeah. but but the, the but the ideas in people's heads were different in the 60s than they are now in the 2020s but to go as far back as john brown and And in the 1800s, I mean, there were people who maybe believed in abolition, but this guy was so
1: adamant about this. It was
0: unusual for the time.
1: Yeah, but but what people don't know about John Brown. Now, I actually had the pleasure of being uh, on the board of an organization called John Brown Lives. In this region, and uh, and that organization did some some significant. It's still doing significant work. The film we just made, how does it feel to be a problem? Ends with a <laughs> section on John Brown because we consider him the ultimate ally. Yeah. Uh, so, so but John Brown was crew with Henry David Thoreau and Ralph Waldo Emerson, and the day he died, uh, a lot of people don't know that Harper's Ferry. Uh, John Brown extended an invitation to Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass to be with him at Harper's Ferry. And they turned it down because they thought it was a suicide mission, which it was.
0: Oh, okay.
1: You know, so so. So, yeah, a lot of people don't know, you know, those subtleties and nuances about John Brown's existence. But for me, uh, when when John Brown at the age of 13 with his father, saw a black boy being beaten unjust unjustifiably by his owner, and turned to his dad and asked his dad questions about it that his dad couldn't answer. John Brown bookmarked that and said, "That's wrong. I'm not feeling that. And if I ever have a chance to change it, I'm going to." He never lost sight of that. And so, here's here's a little nice little you know trivial story for you that you, I would imagine you probably haven't heard. You know who W. B. Du Bois is? Sure. Okay. So he wrote the Souls of Black Folks in 1903, but he had done a lot of great stuff. He was approached to be part of this project that had significant figures in America at the time writing biographies of other people. And so they approached him and they said, uh, "Who would you like to write?" So he said, "I like to write on Frederick Douglass." And they said, "Well, you can't do Frederick Douglass because Booker T. Washington has him, and Booker T. Washington and W. V. E. Du Bois were rivals." Okay. okay. Uh, Booker T. tried to buy. Du Bois' voice by offering him a job at Tuskegee and Du Bois was smart enough to turn that down. So he couldn't write the Frederick Douglass novel because uh, a biography because Washington was doing it. So they said, well, who else would you like to write? So his second choice is interesting because the second choice was Nat Turner. Oh, Now, Du Bois was, uh, was gangster in his own way. He wanted to write about Nat Turner. He would have written a different story of Nat Turner. It wouldn't have had Nat Turner coming off crazy, uh, at, you know, because he killed a whole lot of white people. But they said, no, no, we don't want uh, a biography on Nat Turner. Uh, they didn't know what to do with that. So they so they asked him again for a third option. You know what his third option was? What's that? John Brown. Uh-huh. So the fact that he couldn't write Fred and they wouldn't let him write Nat, he still wrote a version of Nat Turner when he wrote about John Brown. Because John Brown had a, a radical perspective John Brown died so that black people could could be free. And how many white men in that era died, sacrificed the lives of their children so that black people could be free? John, I have a picture of Barack Obama on my wall right there. I have a picture of Malcolm and Martin together on my wall. And I have two pictures in my house of John Brown.
0: Wow. I, I don't know too many people that have pictures of John Brown in their house. That's... But you're 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 right. You know, when when you look at, at some of the historical folks like John Brown or uh, Harriet Tubman. Now I don't know as much as I should know about Harriet Tubman. I've read books, I watched the movie. All I know about Harriet Tubman was she was a badass.
1: She if was I, a badass.
0: If I was in a fight, I'd want her with me.
1: I want like to be standing that. behind her. Yep. <laughs> Yep, Harry, and and, and and Frederick was gangster, because have you ever read or heard Frederick's speech? Oh, Watch yeah. to the, the Slave is the Fourth of July? Have you read that?
0: I have. I don't recall it probably as well as you do, so please.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I won't go into it too far, but I'll just say, you know, the fact that he, in 1852 in Rochester, New York, 1852, before the Civil War, right. in Rochester, New York, he got up, And in a speech and said, what to the slave is the 4th of July. He broke that shit down. And it makes sense. If you're black, why would you be celebrating Independence Day when you're not fucking independent?
0: Right, exactly.
1: You know, so so that was game changing for me. Because I'm going to tell you what, I, I used to do a lot of different workshops when I had all these different groups. And one of the workshops I would do is I'd have everybody register for the workshop. So when they were registering, they had to answer certain questions. And one of the questions I I asked was, please indicate what your three favorite holidays are. And so, you know, people would say Christmas, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July, Fourth of July, Veterans Day, you know, whatever. But the Fourth of July was consistently one of people's favorites, except some enlightened black people, maybe brown, you know, Latinos as well. Every now and then I would get one of them. And so when I would go through, we would tabulate all the results. If there were 30, 60, hundred people in this workshop, we might take a little more time. We would tabulate it all and then I would tell them Christmas got 20. Well, was, let's say it's 50 people. Christmas got 41 votes. Um, uh, and new year's got 38 votes independence day got 35 and so i would say anybody got any problems with them and they say no and then i would i would tell them i would say well you know what just to make sure you know um, there are some people who didn't list independence day at all do you want to own that why and every now and then i wouldn't have to say it because there'd be some enlightened black person that would say what i've always felt why would i want to celebrate the fourth of july as my independence day You know, so, uh, it wasn't, no, the fact, the fact that we are living in that we are living daily in alternate universes in this country is amazing to understand. And the fact that people are afraid to have those conversations so we can start to reveal our lens and how we see the world so differently is just as amazing.
0: Well, and that, you know, that's, that's a good point. When, when you look at it that way, that makes all the sense in the world. And then when you look at recently how they've been trying to make Juneteenth a holiday, which they did uh make Juneteenth a holiday and all the white people are just fucking butthurt about that. How dare you do that? Well, to, to people of color, black people, that is their independence day. Essentially. I mean, so why not I mean, celebrate that?
1: Right. Because symbolically, even though uh, all the black people in the country at that time didn't didn't uh, suffer the pain of uh, remaining in slavery the way it went down in, in Texas, because it was basically in Texas that Juneteenth got its life, because right. that's the day that it was finally announced to the people in the deep south, uh, Texas specifically, that they were free. That's yeah, what Juneteenth is all about.
0: It happened. It happened well before that. It just took that long right. to get to Texas to be announced and people are going, Oh shit, really? That happened? Well
1: well, did it take that long for it to get to Texas or did it take Massa that long to announce to his slaves? Because, you know, think about it. What I forget exactly when it happened, but let's say February. Okay, the Emancipation Proclamation. If it happened in February of that year, um, uh, well, we can milk the shit out of this for another four or five months. We got crops coming in, and a lot of other reasons why. I got to uh, get so through
0: planting season,
1: right? Right. You know, and 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 I got a few more slaves to rape. You know, so yeah. yeah. Don't get me going on that. one.
0: <laughs> well, you know, one of the things is, and I'm a, I, I'm an advocate of of uh, people of color because of what they've gone through. I look at and I try to explain this to people. Uh, when I look at MLK, Malcolm X, uh, um, all the black activists in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. and people will look at me funny, why do you why do you feel so strongly for him? I said, you got to look at the circumstance. These people had zero rights they were a minority they weren't a power by any sense in this country in in this country at all they had no power they'd taken away all power but still they fought for it and they fought and many died from it but they kept fighting and they gained some ground not nearly enough ground but that to me is is truly heroic when the odds are totally against you you still decide to fight that is fucking truly amazing. I mean, everybody um, has their fights.
1: Totally. Uh, not to diss Patrick Henry. Uh, he's the one who said, give me liberty or give me death, right? Right. Patrick Henry. Okay, well, I, I can appreciate that. But uh, Malcolm's by any means necessary. Uh, <clears throat> Martin's, uh, so many sayings from him, but what? Uh, one of his most famous is uh, the arc of the universe is, long but advanced towards justice or something. You know, Mark, uh, Malcolm, Martin, uh, these cats, they were they were targets their entire time in the limelight. They were targets, ticking time bombs, knowing that they were going to die and still went forward and handled their business on behalf of their culture and disenfranchised people. Not just for, for Martin, and Malcolm X, not just for Martin, just black people. But they, you know, pundits say that Mar- that that Malcolm that Martin died when he left articulating the realities of black people and started to speak about social class, about poor people, about poverty. Right. You know, uh, yeah, and labor strikes. That's when they say they took him out. But for whatever reason, yeah, I talk. You want to talk about a hero? These cats were heroes.
0: Well, they both foretold their own deaths, their own yeah. early deaths. You know, Martin said, I may not make it with you. But, and Malcolm X, the same thing. And, and yeah. many of the other folks that were part of this whole whole thing. You got to understand, when I was watching this happen, I was born in 1960. So I'm just a little kid and I'm watching this, but I'm paying close attention And people always say, we are in the worst of times, we'll never get out of it. Well, if you say that, you didn't live through the 60s. Because the 60s were just as bad, just in different ways. There was more violence, there was four major assassinations, there was a war, there was women trying to get rights, there was civil rights, there were kids getting shot on college campuses, it was fucking crazy in the 60s. But as a, a young boy, I didn't know any different, I just assumed that's life as usual. Um, you know,
1: this may be the first thing that you and I disagree on. It, it, it's not necessarily a profound disagreement, but uh, I've heard other people say that the 60s were, and, and and that the 60s were, compared to where we are now, were just as problematic. I don't, I wouldn't, agree, and, and I could be wrong. Uh, i got to put that on the table. I could be wrong, because I haven't really fleshed that out thoroughly, but when I, my gut reaction to that is, while people of color are, are I don't even really like that term. While underrepresented people are uh, better situated on some levels now than we were in the '60s, because so many more are well educated. We're coming off a of black president and a couple of black attorney generals. We've got we've had black governors. Uh, we've got black billionaires. You know, people like LeBron starting schools. I mean, we got all, we got a lot of good stuff that we did not have in the 60s. So while the 60s were bedlam uh, and chaotic for a lot of black people, the difference for me, and the reason why I think this is more problematic now is because we just came off of a profoundly disturbed presidency where he uh, tried to take over the country. And if, if, if they hadn't been the gang that can't shoot straight, they would have succeeded. Because, oh, yeah. literally, like a good example, the black officer who is a hero, and I and I, he, I have a lot of respect for him, who led them in a different direction um, at the Capitol. If you would have had some gangster radicals, they, somebody would have busted a cap on him immediately, and they sure. would have gone the way they wanted to. They wouldn't listen to him trying to divert them and all that. They would have taken him out. If we're right. in a different country, that insurrection would have would have worked. Right. Yeah. So it's it's how incompetent that group was is the reason why we survived that. But a lot of the, the 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 essentials are still in place. And if we don't dismantle that now, we're in a worse situation than we've ever been. Because look, we haven't talked about this at all. And uh and uh I know you've seen the movie The Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. But if there's ever been a real life take on that, it's Trump. What Trump is still doing now, he's a minion of Putin and what he's doing now is what Putin did to uh, to get him elected and has been doing for years. He's still causing chaos in this country and Putin is getting what he wants.
0: Right, exactly. And I I've said this too. I don't think Trump is an evil mastermind. I think the people around him that are evil masterminds that are much smarter than he is knew he could be manipulated easy. And I know he can be manipulated easy because I had a father similar to that. And all you have to do is pat him on the back and say, oh, you're a fucking genius and then tell him what to do. And they'll go and do it, and that's yeah. exactly what Donald Trump was to Putin, to the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, to Kim Jong Un, to all the evil motherfucking Republicans in Congress and the people <laughs> around him. They knew they could use him and manipulate him. And the moment, and I, honestly, if his endorsees don't win in the midterms, they'll cast him aside like a fucking dirty, gar, a dirty, dirty laundry. They yes, won't they care could. because they're no value. He's a liability now, not an asset.
1: You know, Mike, there is a chance that you could be my brother from another mother.
0: <laughs> well, that could be.
1: <laughs> yeah, because our ways of saying well, are very- well,
0: well, if you know my dad, it's more possibility than you could possibly think.
1: <laughs> Just saying. Nah, I, I hear you. I hear you.
0: But, but, well, <coughs> you know, I wanted to ask you about this. You said this word a bunch of times about uh, being an. Ally to the me too or the, the women's women's uh, concerns right. mm-hmm. and a lot of white people will say they are allies to black people or people of color whatever you want however you want to describe it I for me dealing with people of any kind of different people I don't like that word ally and here's okay. why here's why and see what you think about this okay. I don't I, I don't want to be your ally because that suggests we're different or that I'm above you You need me as an ally I would rather see you as a friend A compatriot uh, 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 Whatever you want to call it But this ally thing Perpetuates in my mind White people thinking they have to save uh, People of color And, I, and I've always <laughs> said I don't have to save you I just have to treat you normally I just and have you- to treat you no. fairly And equally and, and then I'm doing my job
1: one of my colleagues in, in our film, sorry about all these shameless plugs. No, feel the, free. But, but in the film, um, uh, how does it feel to be a problem that's gonna hit, since I'm gonna plug it, let me plug it right, that's gonna hit platforms on December the 6th. Um, in the film, there is a, a colleague of mine, a writer who says, um, that she prefers the term co-conspirator. Then, uh, <laughs> I as, like as that. Compared, I like it too, as compared to allies, but, I have a chapter in my book, and I haven't haven't said the name of the book. The name of the book, my novel, is uh, because the name of my book that inspired the film is um, The Nigger in You, Challenging Dysfunctional Language, Engaging Leadership Moments. But the name of my novel is An Academic Lynching. Myth, Misandry, and Me, comma two. Okay. Uh, and, And in that book, I have a chapter on allies. And the chapter is called allies, all lies, alibis, and bye-byes.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And and the reason I named it that is because what I learned from working at SUNY Plattsburgh is uh, people pontificating that are posturing like they're allies, uh, and no, an ally shows up. Okay? <clears throat> Even if it's just for better understanding, an ally shows up. And I, I don't have a friend that's gone through something heavy, heavy, daunting that I didn't understand and I just left it there. Uh, so allies, all lies, because that's what a lot of allies are. Nothing. It's the same spelling, actually. All lies um, and alibis for not showing up right. and bye-byes. Um, that's what they do. They either, It's either all lies, alibis, or they don't even show up at all. They just leave.
0: Right. Well, I've told my kids this, and, and when they were younger, I don't think they believed me, but I, I've learned this in my life. If you have one friend that will stick with you through thick and thin, not a family member, one friend that sticks you th- through thick and thin that will help you even when it's not advantageous to them, that's fucking Amazing. Because people don't do that. Once it becomes difficult, they walk away from it. They go, oh, you know, somebody gets divorced or somebody loses a spouse or somebody has a horrible injury. And now they're now they're they, they, they stay away from them because it's uncomfortable. Right. Uh, and and yep. say somebody goes through a problem, whether it be illegal or whatever. People just walk away from it. People are very selfish. They're only concerned oh, oh. about themselves.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And uh, and I'm I'm one of the wealthiest men you'll ever meet because I have an abundance of friends that showed up and have always shown up that believe in me that have my back and all I have to do is pick up the phone and say hey I'm in need and boom I'm in I'm situated so yeah you know I mentioned my my partner my wife as uh, as amazing and I mentioned my ex-wife in that category but my children my parents yeah 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 so. If you have one friend, uh, yeah, then then you already are ahead of the game compared to most who don't have that. But to have an abundance of friends, I can't even tell you what the actual number is. That's I'm, amazing. And I'm not a really religious guy. Um, I just never have been. I, I grew up Catholic and I was an altar boy. But the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church was revealed to me at a very young age, and it kind of lost me. So yeah. I'm so I'm I'm not that. But fortuitous, blessed. Uh could be two terms that would describe me because of the friendships I have, but if not those, this term, lucky. And I'm a firm believer that luck is the residue of preparation. Uh and I prepared my entire life uh to have the friendships I have because I've always tried to be that type of friend.
0: I've tried to explain to people too that you know, I agree with you, I, I find myself lucky. I have plenty of friends, but the people I truly trust in are my family, you know, my wife, certainly my first confidant. Your
1: your lovely wife. I had the pleasure of meeting her. Yes, you did. Two, uh, sweetheart.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I'm very fortunate. And we're fortunate that after all this time, after 39 years, uh, we like hanging out with each other. We have fun. We have travel. We do all that stuff. Uh, but in turn, you know, in terms of going to somebody outside my immediate family, if I wanted somebody I could count on it would probably be my brother. My friends, they might and they might not, you know, cuz you kind of separate you're not you're not as close as you once were and I I I don't know. Uh, but what I was going to say is what I've told my kids and I've told other people. I think the key to any success in life is confidence in yourself. I don't mean cockiness, right at the border of cocky and confident. You walk in, but but there's always so many people that I run into, whether it be about what's going on in politics or what's going on in their life. They'll say, yeah, it probably won't happen, but I'll give it a try. They go in assuming the worst. And I think think the energy you put out by being confident uh, gets people to follow you. You're more of a leader if you're confident and confident in yourself. Um, I think people are terribly frightened about being wrong. So they'd rather make no decision than make the wrong decision. And I found making the wrong decision just gets me on the right track faster. I don't take it personally. I don't get upset. I'm not embarrassed if I'm wrong. Okay, I'm wrong. Now I'm just going to step this way, and I'm going to do it that way. If you can do that, you can be more successful, and people will be more drawn to you if you come off as a leader as opposed to somebody who's just curling up and waiting to to get the worst thing to happen to them.
1: Have you ever heard the poem If by William Kipling?
0: I have, but I I could not even tell you what it's about. I don't have that kind of memory.
1: Well, um, it's a poem that I was introduced to uh, at a very young age when I was in Catholic school and they had us learning poetry. And then years later, when I pledged my fraternity, it was one of the poems we had to learn in our fraternity, but... Uh I not only am I going to ask you to google this and find the poem and read it. Uh uh and, you know somewhere down the line I'm going to follow up. This is the only homework assignment I'll give you, my brother. All right, okay. thank you. Um
0: I-, I only went to one year of college by the way and I didn't do well. So, I did well, drink a lot of beer and meet girls, but I did not do well in college.
1: Well, <laughs> the the uh the poem if um I I want to share it with you. Okay. So I'm going to say it now. Okay, perfect. Let's see if I can remember it. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you and make allowances for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can think, And not make thoughts your master. If you can dream and if you can think and not make thoughts your master, if you can dream and not make dreams your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat these two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools and watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with one of our tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, And lose and start again at your beginning. And never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart, your will, your sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone. And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the strength which says to you, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings but not lose the common touch. If neither foes or loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds left of distance run yours is the earth and everything that's in it and which is more you'll be a man my son
0: yeah you know what i pulled this up just as you were reading it so i was reading it along with you and you you pretty much nailed it uh, and and i i said i i probably heard this cuz i've heard the poem but i don't know that i've ever listened to the poem and you know what i i relate to every aspect of that it's about oh. what's. It's about what's in your head and what you believe and your confidence and not being shaken by being wrong or failing. I failed a million times and so has everybody else that's been successful. Um, you just got to. You got to get over it and move on. That that's a great poem. I'm going to print that out. Probably put it in my wallet now, because I I didn't have any idea it said what it said and I appreciate that you you've enlightened me as a as a professor and very (laughs) few professors have enlightened me to date
1: well well I'm happy to share that with you and your audience because it's been one of my maps through life I discovered it at a young age I got it printed out and put on on my son's wall of his room and I told him when he was about 13 14 every stanza you memorize I'm going to give you 25 dollars there were four stanzas he he could earn $100 it took him a while but he eventually did and it's 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 a gift to anybody listening because it really is inspiring and it's it 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 gives us um an ability to evaluate ourselves by by just asking ourselves that conditional statement if if then if then you know uh so so yeah thank you for letting me share yeah. with you no i think and that's wonderful I, and I hope your audience
0: likes it. I'm sure they will. And, and you know, I, I, I've kind of said that in a different way, not reading the poem. I've, I basically told people, if you can truly not care what people think of you, if you can forget about every failure in your past, your life will be less anxious, less stressful, and you can just move on to what's happening today and on into the future. Too many people get um, saddled with, Past problems, you know, like people will say, "Well, I had a bad dad, so I'm, I'm, I'm sad." Well, okay, you're 62 years old now. I, I, I tell, tell my kids, you know, whenever they run across something, uh, or somebody else comes up to me and says, "Oh, this is the worst problem ever. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this." And I said, "Well, of course you will." He says, "How do you know?" I said, "Well, I'm 62 years old." I've gone through every trial and tribulation. I've suffered. I've struggled. I've cried. I've done all those things. I've been at moments in my life when things didn't seem like they'd ever be good again. But here I sit, 62 years old. I'm sitting in a condo where I want to live in Minnesota. I have a condo in in in, in, in Savannah, Georgia, because I love Savannah, Georgia. I have a wife of 39 years. I have two grown, accomplished kids, and I have two amazing grandkids. So if somehow I made it through all that stuff without folding up and dying, everybody can. I think people just take a look at their lives and they think, oh, this is the end. And it's not. Mm. If you put your head down and just do what you're supposed to do and don't panic, you'll be okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, lose and start again at the beginning and never read the word about your loss. Yeah, it's it's that's gold. Yeah, I totally agree.
0: Well, we said, you know, my my wife and I know people who will whine and cry about all the negative things in their life. Um, All you're doing is perpetuating those negative things, even if they aren't as negative as you make them seem, you just want the attention. It's still making your life worse for wear because you're living in that.
1: Well, because at the end of the day, I mean, uh, it's not this way because that's what friendship and family is about. but at the end of the day in the grand scheme of things most people don't give a shit about you and what your what your story is because everybody's trying to live their life and survive this crazy thing that that's called life so so it goes back to your point about one person and obviously a family or an abundance of friends if you've got them hold on to them and hold on to them dearly because um you know before you know it you're aging they're aging and you'll look up and all you'll have is a small handful of people that might care enough about you to wipe your ass when you don't know how.
0: Right. Well, I think there's a quote. It might be Mark Twain. You'd probably know better than this. Uh, It's about, it was a quote uh, that said, uh, when you quit worrying about what other people think about you, you'll realize they weren't thinking about
1: you. (laughs) (laughs) That is great.
0: (laughs) Well, and that's that's very true. That's so true. As as much as they, they aren't there to help you when you need them, uh, they aren't focused on you. I, 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 like like, I told my kids, What they, they said to me one time, they said, you really don't care what people think? I said, let me tell you something. If on a winter's day in our neighborhood with all my friends were outside shoveling, watching what I was doing, <laughs> if I walked out the door, slipped, fell on my back, shit my pants, <laughs> and struggled to get up, I would back in the house clean myself up, change my clothes, and the next day I wouldn't think a fucking second thought about it. If, if that's something they want to live with, fine, but I don't care. And, and you know, it's, it's something I learned about in, when, I, when I was in business and I was negotiating with people. I found out the less I cared, or at least the less they perceived me as caring, the more I sold. So what would happen is I would talk to people, and I'd say, "Hey, I got this truckload of whatever. It's really a good deal. You can make a lot of money on it," and 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 pitch them like a salesman would. <laughs> and and every time they they'd be suspicious. Why is he pushing me so hard? I don't believe this guy. And I said to myself, "How can I make these people believe me? I you know I'm 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 telling them all the good things. I'm pitching them like a good salesman should, but they wouldn't they won't buy into it. So you know what I did." I decided to create another perception of me. I hadn't been in the business all that long, but I started talking and doing videos and stuff as if I was an expert. And the things I talked about were true because I looked them up or I studied it and I talked about it. So the perception was this guy kind of knows what he's doing. And then when somebody would come to me and, and say, well, I hear you have this truckload, how much is it? And I'd say, well, it's X, Y, Z amount. Oh, I can't pay that much, which is what they'd always say to try to negotiate. And I would say, okay, cool. Thanks for calling. Hang up on him. And the moment I did that, you know what they said? They go, first of all, they think this guy must be honest because he doesn't give a shit if I buy it. And then he hung up so fast. What am I missing? I maybe need that motherfucker. And he'd call me back and they'd <laughs> give me the price I wanted and I'd sell it to him. It was all a big psychological fucking game.
1: Mike, that's called pimping without holding you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I've,
0: I've, uh, I, I've had people say to me when I was doing that, they go, uh, you know, Mike, you're very successful at what you're doing, but you kind of sound like a crack dealer.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, something. Something to miss there,
0: yeah. But it's all psychology, and people people want to assume the worst, and people want to distrust, so you got to somehow take that away from them. And, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about with Donald Trump now and, and, and the Republicans at this point. Where I think we have the problem, and I think after the midterms where we're going to get the fix is as long as we allow Donald Trump in the narrative, in the equation, and keep his voice talking, and keeping... These Republicans spewing whatever bullshit they want. We're going to have these problems. We're going to have this, uh, this adversity or, or this volatile, volatile state that we have in this country. What we have to do in my mind is exactly what I did with those, with those buyers is take the power away from them, Mm. take their voice away from them. So if the Republicans win the House, the only thing less left to do is tear down the Republican Party, and that shouldn't be hard because what, what we have the option to do is indict every motherfucker that's been involved in this shit, make them all accountable, and tear apart the Republican Party. I think there's some reasonable-minded Republicans that would like that. I mean, some people think that's what Mitch McConnell wants. That's why he's conceding the Senate. He knows if they win anything, he's stuck with these crazy fucks. He'd rather yeah. see it wiped out and start afresh.
1: Well, yeah, uh, but that almost makes it sound like he, there's something noble about that piece of shit. No no no, 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 no,
0: no. He he, is part of the reason why Donald Trump is who he is. He's right. Not-
1: there's no doubt about that. And then for Trump to go after his wife the way he did and after him with all these. You know, oh, anyway, um, my brother, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I thoroughly have too. enjoy it. We'll have to um, do it again. Uh, that would be my pleasure. I'm sure we could easily find some other things to, to, uh, to engage. But at any moment, my wife is going to be walking through the door. She's coming here from Montreal and I need to get the house together before she walks in or I'll be in the dog house.
0: I know what you're saying, man. My wife will go out of town and the house will be a mess. And when I know she's in the car about 50 miles away, then I start fucking cleaning. Right.
1: I, I tell my wife, Text me when you're at the border. So <laughs> I got that 25 minutes for the last things I need
0: to do. I just want to know you're safe.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. When actually you want to know you're going to be safe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well,
0: well, 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 uh, Dr. Joe Wiley, I appreciate you sitting down talking to us. Let's 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 give a plug to your books and this movie coming up because I think that's very interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing them both.
1: Well, if, if if somebody... I have a lot of YouTube videos. I have a video you should watch. and We can talk about that next time. It's called. It's called The Subway Story. Uh, if you go to YouTube and you type in uh, The Subway Story, you'll hear me telling a story about uh, a trip my son and I took to New York City. But anyway, so that I don't go too much further down all this, uh, the name people should look for if they want to look me up, uh, Joe Wiley is my name, but my professional name for years... It has also been J.W. Wiley. Okay. And that's that's how they'll find my novel and that's how they'll find my book and on YouTube, a lot of videos and a whole lot of other stuff. And whoever hears this, if you uh, aren't inclined to uh, appreciate this conversation because you're a trumper or whatever and you want to find some dirt on me, have fun with that. But if you are, (laughs) but if you're interested in growing, uh, there's a lot out there that I think you would enjoy, and you'll you'll find it by looking up J.W. Wiley, and you'll also see what I've had to go through with a whole lot of dirt that's that's out there now on me on the internet. But that just comes with the territory.
0: Well, well, Joe, I will tell you this: uh, you're not going to find many Trump humpers. On this uh on this platform with this podcast uh any of them i pretty much run off and the ones that decided to show up on the show we haven't heard from again and 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 they were only on the show because i asked them to do it think you you heard the one podcast i did before you listen to this right Uh you you hear the shit i talk Yes. If, if anybody's going to get in trouble, it's going to be me, and I don't get in any trouble. These are all friends listening to the podcast, so you don't have to worry about that shit. But I, I appreciate you coming on, and I'm looking forward to the time when we can have you back on, because I know the folks listening will have loved this uh, conversation.
1: Cool. All right, my brother. Well, look, man, thank you for the uh, for the privilege of having some quality time to talk real, and I'll pass them across again soon.
0: All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much. And the folks at home, uh, thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. Uh, have yourself a great day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you
1: next time.